much. Good morning. It's lovely to see you all. Always lovely to come across to Hastings, the Bexel venue. If you don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm an assistant pastor here at King's. And today I'm continuing our series, Restored, Living Your Best Life, where we're exploring together how does the good news of the Christian gospel, the good news about Jesus, help us to step into living and enjoying our best life. Over the last few weeks, Paul has really helpfully helped us to look at some fairly foundational stuff. The question, who am I? Looking at our identity and the fact that as Christians, our identity has been radically and irreversibly changed. And then last week, looking at choosing to believe the truth. Kind of how do you step into experiencing the reality that is already true of you as a Christian? And what we're going to do the next few weeks is we're going to take some time to look at some of the things that can kind of hold us back and stop us from experiencing our best life in Jesus. They can hold us back and stop us from choosing to believe or being able to believe and living in the good of some of those truths we've talked about. And today we're going to talk about the world, the world we live in that's all around us and how that shapes us. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but we as humans are incredibly easily shaped by the people and the places around us. Humans are easily molded by our environments. You see that a lot in children, don't you? There are those funny moments when children say something which is very not childlike, and you think, how have they picked that up? Well, the reality is they picked it up from one of us. They're molded by their environment, and they say things sometimes in the way the adults around them say them, and that can be quite amusing. You see it in children, but you also see it in adults. We all have those moments when we say something and we think, gosh, that's exactly what such and such would have said, often a close relative or a close friend. This happens kind of naturally without us realizing it. We don't think about it, it just happens to us. I'm sure in your own life you can think of plenty of examples. Here are a couple I thought of in my life. One, and this is a bit of a confession moment, I confess. When I was a kid, I had a friend who had a rather bad habit of using rather bad language. I was an overly good kid who I don't think at this point had ever sworn in my life. And one day something happened and I was surprised or scared or something and this word came out of my mouth and I was mortified. But I had been shaped by my environment. I hadn't been thinking about it without realizing it. The environment I was in had shaped me and molded me. Well, a number of years later, in my early 20s, I lived for a number of years uh, in the Northeast. And if you're a southerner living in the Northeast, you rather stick out by the way you speak. And you seem, apparently, incredibly posh. And the thing that really, really gives you away if you're a southerner in the North is the long A. So in words like Newcastle, the R in castle is what really gives you away. And I found after a short time living in the Northeast, I instinctively started saying Newcastle instead of Newcastle, not thinkingly, not deliberately, but I was being shaped by the environment around me and molded. We are so easily shaped by the world around us. And that's really important to be aware of. Because sometimes it doesn't really matter. But sometimes it really, really does. And that's something the Bible recognizes too. The Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, recognized this, and he talks about this in his letter to the church in Rome. He spends the whole first chunk of the letter, a whole 11 chapters, talking about some of the things we've looked at over the last few weeks, who we are in Christ, that truth we need to step into. Then in chapter 12, it's kind of a turning point where he begins to say, well, how do we live in light of that? And in part, he says, we need to realize we're at risk of being conformed, but actually we need to be transformed. It's what he says, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Paul says to these Christians in Rome, it's applicable to us to do today as well, don't be conformed. That means don't be molded. Don't be kind of shaped. Don't be changed to be made like the world. He's talking about a passive thing. It's not just happens to us. Don't allow it to happen, he says. Instead, be transformed. Not conformed to look like everyone else. Be transformed to look like and to be different. And that happens, he says, through the renewal of our mind. It happens through our thinking. It happens through directing and changing, reshaping our thinking. It's that thing of choosing to believe the truth, taking hold of what is true, taking hold of what God says, choosing to believe that rather than being shaped and conformed by what's around us. And notice the being conformed thing is passive. It's done to you. It happens without us even thinking about it, without us even realizing sometimes we're called to be transformed. That's an active thing. Being conformed happens passively. Being transformed is active. It requires us to do something. It requires us to get involved. And renewing our thinking is an active thing. Something we have to be partakers in, stepping into, learning to think in a new way in light of what God has done. And why should we do that? Why do we want to do that? Well, Paul tells us it's so we can find out what God wants. We can find out God's will, what's good and acceptable and perfect. And we should want to know that it's by knowing that and living out God's will, living out what's good, acceptable, perfect, that's where we find our best life. As creatures of a creator, it totally makes sense that our best life is found by living in line with how our creator has designed us to live. The renewing of our mind allows us to do that. This is how we can live our best life. So if we're instructed and called not to be conformed to the world, we need to think what the world actually is, because you might think, well, what's so bad about being conformed to the world? Because surely the world's good. God made the world. It's part of his good creation. What's the problem? So we need to take a moment to think about the ways the Bible talks about the world. Because sometimes Paul and the other biblical authors, they use the world to talk about the physical created world, which is good, which we are kind of living and inhabit. But sometimes they use the word a bit differently. Often people like Paul and John will use the word world to kind of represent everything around us that stands in opposition to God. That's what Paul is talking about here. Because we know that God created the world. God created a good world. We also know that the good world God created has been damaged by our human sin, our rebellion against God. When we turned against God, God's good creation becomes damaged, so not everything is as it should be. But actually, even more than that, the Bible tells us that when we humans sinned and turned away from God, actually, we gave over some power to Satan. Satan is a real being, a real being who is an evil being, who is opposed to God in everything he does. And the world around us, to some extent, is in his control. Jesus himself teaches us this. In John 12, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he describes Satan as the ruler of this world. That's from the lips of Jesus. Or when John the Apostle is writing his letter a number of decades later, he's talking to Christians about the security of their position, but he reminds them, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we Christians are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. To some extent, in some way, Satan has control over the world around us, which means the world around us is not neutral. It's not neutral because it's impacted by sin, and it's not neutral because actually it's under the power of Satan. That means if we're at risk of being conformed to the world without even realizing it, that's a really bad thing. And that's something we need to be aware of and to think about. We need to be transformed, not just 
conform. But of course, that seems quite difficult, because if being conformed just happens, it's a natural part of the process of living in the world, how can we resist that? How can we avoid being conformed? Well, I think part of it, how it starts, is being aware of what to look for. Being aware of what's happening in the conforming, becoming aware of what often happens without us realizing it, so we can spot it and we can resist it. I think of this as being a bit like if you're a gardener. If you're a gardener, weeds are almost inevitable. Whatever happens, there are going to be weeds in the area that you are tending. And so the way you need to respond to that is to uh, learn to identify, understand what's a weed and what isn't, to keep an eye on it, and then to be proactive about nipping the thing in the bud, getting the thing up, weeding as soon as they appear. I think it's a bit like that if you want to resist being conformed to the world. We've got to learn to recognize the ways that the world conforms us to think like it rather than think like what God says. That's learning to recognize a weed. We need to be quick about when we recognize actually resisting that and renewing our thinking to think God's way, not to think the world's way. That's kind of pulling up the weed and getting rid of it. We need to be active in this. So let me therefore highlight to you two ways that I think the world shapes us and two areas that we can be easily conformed to the world. The first one is in understandings of truth and of reality, of what is true and what is real. Living in the world around us, we easily get shaped by its view of what is true or how truth works and what reality is. And really, this is something that affects everything, how you think, how you live, how you view everything else. Sometimes people call this a worldview, the, the view you have on the world and the totality of what there is. It shapes your interaction with the world, your thinking about everything. A worldview is a bit like a pair of glasses. When I put my glasses on, it affects everything I see. Without my glasses, it's all very, very fuzzy. Everything is shaped by what I see through my glasses. If you had a pair of glasses with a certain colored lens, it would affect everything you see. There'd be some colors that would almost disappear. There'd be some things you could see very clearly. Our glasses affect everything you see in the same way the world affects everything you see, everything you think about. You interpret all of your experience in life through your worldview. And in the modern West, where you and I live today, there are two dominant uh, kind of overlapping worldviews. And they provide a particular perspective on what is true and how truth works and how reality works. And it's worth just having a really basic understanding of them so we can see them happening and we can resist being conformed to the unhelpful parts of these worldviews. So the first one is what we might call a materialist or a modernist worldview. This way of looking at the world, this pair of glasses tells you the physical, around, the physical world around us is all there is. It's real, but it's all there is. There's nothing more beyond it. Or occasionally people would say there is something beyond it, but the two can't really meet. The two can't get through to each other. But generally speaking, this view says there's nothing beyond the physical world, and nothing else can have an impact on the physical world. And this gives rise to something called the scientific method, which is a fancy way of saying nothing is true unless it's provable by science. Everything has to be proven, uh, demonstrable through science, or it's not actually true. And that gives you a view which says the world is all there is. There's nothing beyond the world. So there's no God, there's no Satan, there's no angels, there's no demons. Also gives you a view that says there's nothing beyond this life. Gives you a view that says kind of have lots of fun now because there's nothing coming later, so why not do something now? And it says only, the only things that are true or real are things that you can test and you can see and in some way experience. And this is a really common view in our culture. It's the view that says science disproves God, because you can't prove God in a science lab, therefore science doesn't exist. It's the view that says healing can come through medicine, i.e. science, but can't come through prayer, 
because there's nothing beyond the physical world. As I mentioned, it's the view that says, eat, drink, and be merry, have lots of fun now, because there's nothing coming after death, so why not just enjoy your time here? That's one very common view in our culture, the modernist uh, materialist position. But then another common worldview, a different pair of glasses we might put on, is the relativist or the postmodernist worldview, which says there is no ultimate reality. There is no ultimate or universal truth. This means you can believe there's more than the physical world. You can believe there's a God and Satan, demons, angels. But just because I believe that's true doesn't mean it's true for you. This is the whole thing of relative truth. This can be true for me, but it doesn't mean it's true for you. This is really, really common in our culture. This is where you get statements like your truth. Live your truth, i.e. what's true for you, but isn't necessarily true for me. This is because why our, our culture, you're free to believe in God. Of course you are. So long as you don't imply I should believe in God, or your belief in God should have any impact on the way I live my life. It's a really common view around us. Actually, both these views are common. And in many ways, many people actually in our culture live with a funny mix of bits of, bits of both of these worldviews. But generally speaking, if you're a little bit older, you're more likely to be shaped by the materialist, modernist worldview. If you're younger, you're more likely to be shaped by the postmodernist, relativist worldview. But if you stop and think about these pairs of glasses, these ways of looking at the world, these worldviews, you'll find there are actually some fairly major problems with them. Materialism and modernism says that we only believe in things that can be proved by the scientific method. But we all believe in loads of things that can't be proved by the scientific method. Take this viewpoint, and you can't believe in love. You can't prove that love is anything more than some sort of weird chemical thing going on in the brain if you said that only something proved in a scientific lab can be true. You can't prove history. One of the weird things about this worldview is actually nothing before this exact point in time can be proved to have happened. There's no way for us to conclusively prove that any moment has existed before this moment in time. All of history becomes not possible to prove, not basically true in this worldview. Most of us say, no, I think something's already happened. This doesn't really work. And relativism, postmodernism really doesn't work either. The whole thing of truth being relative, true for you but not true for me, just patently doesn't work. If I believe there's life after death, and you don't believe there's life after death, we can't both be right. Those two things cannot both be true. When we die, something will happen or will not happen. One of our beliefs will correspond to reality. The other one won't. Relative truth just doesn't work. There are plenty of things we can all recognize. There must be absolute truth, things that have to be true for you and have to be true for me. This stuff just doesn't work. But this is the world we live in and the world that seeks to shape us and does shape us as we're living it. But as Christians, we want to be transformed, not conformed. So we need to be aware of this to resist this. And we want to be transformed to have not either these two worldviews, but to put on a totally different pair of glasses to have the biblical worldview. In the biblical worldview, the physical world around us is created by God and is good, and also God exists. Truth exists because God exists. The reason there can be ultimate fundamental truth, things that just are true for every person at every place, is because God exists. He is the foundation that makes that possible. The reason there can be ultimate truth about what happens after we die is because God exists. That is the foundation, the root of that. And in the biblical worldview, things are true when they correspond to how God has made the world and what God says. That's the really key thing. Things are true when they correspond to how God has made the world and to what God says. 
And funny enough, this is a worldview that works. This worldview can cope with things that you can't prove by the scientific method. It can cope with the concept of love. In fact, God is the grounds and the foundation of love because God is love. It can cope with the idea of history because God is a being who is outside of time. And it can cope with absolute truth. God becomes the grounds of the fact that some things just fundamentally are true for every person in every time. But we know the world is constantly trying to mold us, shape us, reform us into its view. And so we need to resist that and be transformed in the renewing, through the renewing of our minds to see the world as God sees it. To recognize we live in a good creation made by God, but true now damaged by sin. To recognize that God is a real being and there is a spiritual world beyond this world. God is real. Angels are real. Satan is real. Demons are real and are at work in the world. And that ultimately truth is what aligns to what he's created or how he's created things and what he says is true. This is a really important thing for us to uh, get a little bit of a grasp on if we want to resist being conformed and we want to be transformed. Understandings of truth and reality. They're weeds you want to pull up so we can plant, as it were, the biblical view. And then another thing that's helpful to be aware of, if we're thinking, what do we need to be aware of to spot where we might be conformed and instead be transformed? Another thing is understandings of how to find our best life. The world has very clear narratives to tell us, very clear ideas to tell us about what's going to be best for us, how we're best going to thrive and flourish in life. And there's lots of these we pick up on, but a lot of them in some ways feed into some of the core needs and uh, longings and cravings, desires that we have as humans. Good, God-given desires, desires we should have. And the world gives us certain answers to those, or certain ways claiming they can be fulfilled, but very often they're the wrong answers, partly often because they're rooted in the wrong worldviews. And key among these needs given to us by God are our needs for significance, for security, for acceptance, things we've already talked about in this series. And the world kind of gives us, as it were, kind of formulas, equations to get these which don't really work. So, for example, the world tells us that performance plus accomplishments equals significance. That if actually if you perform well, if you accomplish lots, if you can get people to think well of you, then you'll be significant. Significance becomes something you earn by what you do and you receive based on what other people think about you and say about you. But the Bible tells us that we are significant purely because we're made by God in his image. Significance is given to us. It's received, not achieved through how we act or what people think about us. We have a family resemblance to God as those created in his image. And actually, ultimate true significance comes from being united to Christ by faith and God seeing us is hidden, kind of clothed in him. The world seeks to conform us to believe that significance is found in what we do and what people think of us. The Bible tells us we need to be transformed by recognizing our significance comes from God. Another common equation or formula the world will tell us is that status plus recognition equals security. That if you want to feel secure in life, you need to get yourself to some sort of position of status, get people to recognize you, acknowledge you again, get people to think well of you. Notice, yet again, it's what we do and it's what people think about us. But by contrast, the Bible says true security comes from a relationship with God. A relationship that isn't based on what we do, which, you know, comes and goes, ebbs and flows, isn't very secure. What people think of us, which again, ebbs and flows, isn't secure. A relationship that's based on what God says about us. 
of being in Christ, clothed in him. That's the only truly secure place. The world will try to conform us to believe that security is found in what we do and in getting other people to think well of us. The Bible tells us that the only true security comes from being in Christ and what God says about us when we are in Christ. And a final uh, formula that you might see so commonly in different forms in our culture around us is the formula, appearance plus admiration equals acceptance. If you can appear to be attractive or good or successful and you get people to admire you and praise you and think well of you, yet again notice it's all what you do and what people think of you. If you can do that, you will have this wonderful sense of acceptance, of being accepted. But the Bible tells us that we, accept, we experience acceptance by knowing that the one whose opinion truly matters, the one who made us, the one who's over and above all things, loves us and accepts us in Christ. This is better news. It's not based on what we do. None of us can perform to such an extent that people always accept us, but in Christ we are always accepted because it's based on what he has done, not based on what we do. The world will seek to conform us to believe that acceptance is found in impressing other people so they think well of us, the Bible tells us to be transformed by recognizing that true acceptance comes from being grafted into Christ and accepted on the merits of his work, what God says about us in that position. As so you can spot, our best life is always experienced by entering into and truly experiencing, flourishing in a relationship with God through Jesus. The world around us has this very different ideas about what true life looks like, what our best life looks like, ideas that ultimately won't deliver, ideas that ultimately let us down. Many of us would experience in our own lives, many of us would think of people we know or celebrities we've heard of where these formulas just don't work out. They don't deliver and do the job they claim to. If we don't learn to recognize these things when they're happening, we will be conformed without even realizing it. We need to sharpen up the description of our glasses, get used to seeing these things so we can resist them. We need to be transformed, not conformed. And so the question we're left with is, well, how does that happen? What does it mean? How do we become transformed, not conformed? And in a sense, this whole series is about that. So I'm not going to be answering it in a few minutes now. This whole series is helping us to do what this very verse in Romans 12 2 tells us to do. But I do think it starts with recognizing the risk of being conformed. And they need to spot that. They need to resist that. Awareness is key. And sometimes we'll be become aware of the particular things we're being shaped by, the particular ways we're being shaped, and sometimes we need to do things about that. Sometimes it is right for us to remove ourselves from certain unhelpful influences. They might be from things we read or websites we visit. It might be the influence of certain TV shows or films. It might be being on social media or following certain people on social media. Sometimes it's right for a time to remove ourselves from things that are influencing us and shaping us unhelpfully. But often, actually, being a Christian is realizing we can't run away from it all. You can't get out of the world. We're in the world. And so actually, we learn to live within it, but to be aware of these things and to be able to resist its attempts to conform us. And we are active in being transformed instead. So learning to recognize is the key bit. That's not always easy. I think part of growing as a Christian is learning to recognize the contrast between God's truth and the world's truth so that we get to resist the world's truth. And actually, I think also something we do together. It's so significant, you know, that we're not sent off as individual Christians going to do any of this stuff on our own. We're deliberately brought into family, community together. And I think we're meant to help each other on this journey too. 
We resist being conformed, and that we are active in being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Taking hold of what is true. Some of the stuff we talked about last week, choosing to believe, kind of stepping into what is already true. And that means you need to know what is true. Which means reading God's word is one of the most important things you can do. Getting God's truth into your head so you can then do the job of bringing it to your heart is one of the most important things we can do. We are transformed as we engage with God's word. And as we seek to deepen our connection, our relationship with him. The reason spiritual disciplines are so important. Reading the Bible and meditating on the Bible is chewing it over for a bit. Praying, worshipping, gathering with the people of God to do all those things together. It's all some of the active stuff we do to help our thinking be renewed, to be transformed, not to be conformed. This is something we have to do. We have to step into. God equips us for it. God goes alongside us in it. But actually, we have to take some steps to do this actively. And also, I think we should be helping each other to do it. So I'm going to leave you with two questions, two, I guess, challenges, two things to amuse on today over the week in your Connect group if you get a chance. Where are you most at risk of being conformed to the world? For each one of us, actually, it will be kind of in different places, different areas, different susceptibilities. What lies that the world tells you are you most susceptible to being conformed to? What do you need to be very deliberate about resisting? And the second one is, how can you be transformed by the renewal of your mind? What does it look like for you to be deliberate and proactive to play your part in being transformed, not conformed? I'd love to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would help us to do this. Then I'll have a go to Sam McClare and they'll lead us in our next steps. Father, we thank you that in this verse is a challenge, but also an invitation. An invitation to find our best life, to know your will, what's good and acceptable and perfect, to find our best life by living that out through being transformed, not conformed. And Lord, we come before you as your people and we say we long for that to be true of us. We long not to be conformed to the ways of the world. And we say, Lord God, please help us to get good at recognizing the, the counterfeits, the lies in the world around us, the, the skewed perspectives. Help us to be good at recognizing those that are resisting those. And Lord, we say, please, would you help us to play our part in being transformed? Holy Spirit, would you equip us and enable us that our thinking might be renewed, we might be transformed, that through that we might thrive and flourish in life with you, and that through that you might be glorified because the world around us will see that you are the one who truly can give us our best life. Father, for all these things, we seek your help, and we ask you to work in our lives. Amen.